Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet, maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. This is the Jesse Kelly Show.
Has the United States of America known hard times? Now, it's easy to say what we all want to say to that, right? It's, um, yeah, we've been to war. We've seen Great Depressions. At one point in time, we flat out divided up as a nation and started shooting, blowing up, and stabbing each other. But again, remember, everything in life, everything in life is relative. Everything. If I offered you a piece of bread with a little bit of mold on it for breakfast, you would want to vomit into the trash can and you'd throw it on the ground. If I locked you in solitary confinement with no food for five days and then offered you that same piece of bread, you would scarf it down without a second thought. Everything is relative in life. Do you know what the total number of United States deaths in war is? Total of every war we've ever fought? A little over a million. 1.3, 1.4 million, roughly. Do you know that more people died in one battle in the Battle of Stalingrad than that? Significantly more? One battle. The German-Soviet portion of World War II is the most Undertold, undersold military campaign ever. And it's easy to, to know why here in the United States of America because, well, they both suck. I mean, at least for World War II reasons, right? I mean, who, who are you supposed to be rooting for? Well, I don't think I'll root for the Nazis, but, I mean, Stalin's killing 50 million of his own people. and You know what? I'm just going to sit this one out. I don't care. And that's fine. I'm not asking you to be personally invested. I'm not. But understand something. There is no second place. There is that military campaign, and then there is about a 30,000-foot drop before you get to the next military campaign at any moment throughout the history of the world before you get to that kind of carnage again. I mentioned the Battle of Stalingrad People, that's one, one small aspect of that living hell. Is that too far? Remember I said 1.4 million Americans have died ever. Do you know how many Russians died in World War II? 10 million. That's just the soldiers. Oh, the civilians? It was 20 or 30 million more. That number is so big that it becomes small, meaning it's so large you can't wrap your mind around that kind of death. That kind of. And look, the Germans had it bad too. You know how many Germans actually died on the Western Front? Three or 400,000. You know how many died in Russia? 2.7 million, 3 million, 
just just carnage like like the world has never seen. And I need you to understand that before I talk about what we're going to talk about today. Because Germany invading Russia didn't just happen out of nowhere. It didn't only happen because Hitler was an expansionist and hated the communists badly and wanted the oil fields of Russia, although that all that factored in. It, it, it happened for, well, the, the catalyst of it was something different. Let's talk about Finland. Don't worry. I'll connect everything here in just a second. Finland is an interesting place. You see, they were under Sweden forever. And then they were under Russia forever. And then World War I happens and Russia has a big communist revolution at the end of World War I. And finally, Finland, during all that revolution stuff, they broke off relatively bloodlessly. And all of a sudden, they are their own place. And to give you some sort of reference to Finland, because I realize not everybody's staring at a map, you can picture big old Russia. Everybody knows what that is. And the far, far, far northeast corner of Finland or of Russia, that's Finland. Not a tiny country. I mean, it looks like Rhode Island compared to Russia, but, you know, a country. World War II breaks out. Everybody knows this story. Hitler starts slapping everybody around. Stalin, who's just as big of a scumbag, says, well, I want some other stuff, too. Hitler and Stalin just decide to agree that we're just going to leave each other alone. Look, I don't like you. You don't like me. Hitler was busy killing all the commies in his own country. Hitler hated commies. And they just like, hey, look, I'm like, that's... Look, we have all these Eastern European countries in between us. Instead of fighting, why don't we just divide them up? We'll leave each other alone. And they did. And Hitler just started crushing everybody. And Stalin just started mowing down everybody. Only most of them, most of the countries that Stalin took in Eastern Europe... They just laid down. And I'm not insulting anybody. When Stalin shows up at your doorstep, uh, we're coming in. You're going to let us or are we going to kill everyone? And he has you know, three, four million troops, tanks, planes, and you've got 30,000. You do what you have to do to save your people's lives. Unless you're Finland. Because Stalin eventually came knocking on Finland's door. Hey, all that land you took, we want it all back. That that ind- that independent country you have, uh, we want we want big portions of that now, just because they're going to be advantageous for us. So go ahead and hand those over. Finland turns around and looks at their army of about three hundred thousand, and they look at the million men Stalin is about to bring in, and they say, "No, I don't think we will." And there were, I mean, they tried diplomatically several times. The Russians were like, wait, what? The diplomatic version of, you, you're you not serious, right? And Finland said, oh, 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 we're very serious. No, you can't have it. So in the Soviets came. Now, I need you to understand this because this is going to play a part here. 
It is December in Finland. Remember I said Finland is in the northeast corner of Russia? It's also a uniquely cold winter, but it's uniquely cold there all the time. And cold is one of those things that's difficult. It's difficult to explain unless you're in the middle of it, and it's difficult to explain the differences in it unless you've been through it. So let me do the best that I can. 40 degrees below zero. 40 degrees below zero. I grew up for much of my life in Montana, where we experienced 20, rarely 30 below. I think we got down there a couple times. 10 below is very, very cold. You need thick clothes on. You definitely need a hat and gloves. You need to be careful. 20 below, it's like descending into hell. 30 below, you're breathing razor blades into your lungs. You want to know what happens at 40 below? Oh, I'm about to tell you. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. There are pictures of this if you've already had breakfast or, well, let's just be honest. If you're within a 20 or 30 minute window of eating before or after, don't look. But there are pictures of what I'm about to tell you. At 40 below zero, without extreme winter clothing on, which of course the Finns had because this is their home, the blood circulating in your body your blood pressure is the only thing keeping your body alive and what i mean what i mean by that is if you are a russian soldier and it's 40 degrees below zero as you invade finland and you get shot in say the arm not even the heart you get shot in the arm you know what happens when you get shot You lose blood. You essentially punch a hole in a tire. And what happens is your blood pressure goes down. Fatal wound or not. At 40 degrees below zero, you freeze to death in place almost instantly. Shot in the arm. Frozen solid. That fast. To give you some idea of what that looks like, you can take a gigantic steaming hot cup of coffee at 40 below zero. If you can even get this far, but walk away from the coffee machine, throw the cup of coffee in the air, and not a drop of that coffee will hit the ground. It will freeze and turn into coffee mist 
right away. Now, this is what the Russian troops are facing, and because Stalin had previously fired all the capable generals, because Stalin was purging and killing every political enemy, they march into Finland for what forever will be known as the Winter War. Understand this about the Finns. Not only did they know the terrain, but there is, and you will see this consistently while I do my history stories on the show, this is just a consistent theme because it's reality. I need you to picture something. I need you to picture you're in a gigantic field. And sitting beside you on a table is some boxing gloves, a pair of brass knuckles, a sword, and a machine gun. And standing 40 feet away from you is another person, a dude. He has a table beside him with the exact same things. Boxing gloves, brass knuckles, sword, and a machine gun. And you were told, hey, you two, go ahead and decide what you want to do, but you've got to fight. What are you probably going to do? What's a normal human response there? You're probably going to look across at the guy and be like, well, I mean, let's just grab the boxing gloves and trade a couple punches and call it a day, right? Little, little black guy at the end of the world, we'll call it a day. Now, I want you to picture that exact same scenario. You're sitting there, table, boxing gloves, brass knuckles, sword, machine gun. He's standing across from you, boxing gloves, brass knuckles, sword, machine gun. And that same instructor, that same voice comes down and he talks to you and he says, now look behind you and you turn around and there's your home and there's your wife on the front porch and there are your children and you're staring in their faces and the instructor says to you, If that guy gets by you, he's coming for them. Now which one do you grab? Yeah, me too. Brother, sorry, but you got to go. When you were defending your own country, when you were defending your own towns, your own streets, your own wife, your own kids, your own church, your own school, your own restaurant, your own priest. You fight in a different way. And you will see this throughout history. You fight in a different way. And the Finns fought in a different way. How that looks in a a war like that, let's say you're Russians, and I'll get to this in a moment, how things like this came about. And let's say you're getting ambushed by a bunch of these crazy Finns who were all dressed in white, and you couldn't see them, and they were super fast. And you were a Russian, and you are... You're hundreds of miles, if not a thousand miles away from home. You're invading some country you don't really give a crap about. And bullets are flying your way, and you're dug in all around you with your buddies... And what should you do when you get ambushed there? Well, the thing to do in an ambush is not lay down, not run away, because they plan for that. The thing to do is stand up and return fire as safely as humanly possible. Charge into the teeth of it, because it's the last thing they're ready for. 
What do you do if you're on someone else's country? Uh, I actually think I'll just keep my head down for a little while. Not my country. What do you do if your wife and kids are behind you? You throw yourself into the maw. And so the Russians, with three times the amount of troops. Oh, and I didn't even mention the supplies. Did, did I mention the supplies here? You want to know what they were? What people were actually? <laughs> the Russians had about somewhere, they don't even know the exact numbers, between three to 5,000 tanks. Some say 6,000. The Finns had 32. The Russians had 3,800 planes. The Finns had 100. But, again, the wife, the kids, the church, the school, all right behind the Finns, and they fought like demons. And the Russians, well, they weren't dressed for it. They had bad leadership. And they thought, because they were the Russians, that these Finns were just going to get rolled over. And the Finns did not get rolled over. And if you're a Finn and you're facing down 5,000 tanks and you don't have tanks of your own, well, we don't have an option just to let them through. We better figure something out. And guess what they came up with? What is known today as the Molotov cocktail. It was actually named after, I believe, the Soviets, one of their Soviet diplomats. His name was Molotov. And there are a million different ways you can make one. I'm not going to give you those instructions on national radio, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. We're talking about a rag stuffed in a bottle with some flammable liquid in the bottle. You light the rag, you throw it, it burns. Well, the Finns weren't just chucking them randomly. All those tanks, the Finns would lay down and hide in the snow. And the tanks would roll by and the Finns would get up and chuck that Molotov cocktail into the vent system of the Soviet tank, which would suck that gas-flammable liquid inside and blow the tank up. They would take logs and throw those logs in the tank tracks. The Soviets had two different ways into Finland, and Finland had very, very, very narrow, very rough roads. Logging roads. And the Soviets had to stick to those roads. Guess what the Finns didn't do? They didn't stick to the roads. So while you're a Soviet soldier with your head down and the biting wind cutting through you at 40 below and every breath feels like you're breathing in icy razor blades, you are constantly getting shot in the face by people wearing all white on skis. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. see the Finns they knew there was really only 
two little narrow ways into their country. And the Russians stretched out for over 30 miles in single file or double file lines along these crappy log roads with thick forests and snow drifts and freezing cold all around them. And you know what the Finns did? They just came in from the woods on skis. Let's be really, really generous and say you can walk three miles an hour, four miles an hour in conditions like that. That's probably being generous, but I'm being rough about it. Cross-country skis, you're double that. Imagine facing an enemy twice as fast as you are. Now, don't get me wrong. The Russians won this war. They did. This little winter war. The Finns eventually were overwhelmed by Russian troop sizes and everything else. You know how many Finn casualties there were? 70,000. You know how many Russians it took to win that war and visit those 70,000 on the Finns? 350,000. Now, the reason I brought up Stalingrad and the Eastern Front and Germany's invasion of Russia during all this, before I talked to you about the Winter War, before I laid everything out, the reason I brought that up is, do you know what the catalyst was for Germany invading Russia? For 20 to 30 million Russian civilians dead, 10 million Russian troops, two, three, four million German troops. Do you know what you know what the catalyst was for by far the biggest, goriest, most horrific military campaign ever? The Winter War. Hitler was obviously watching that very, very closely and said to himself, if the Finns can slap around the Russians, why would we wait? Let's just invade. You see, when you make mistakes as a nation, you don't often know while it's going on what the final body count is going to be, what the final reverberations of it are going to be once it's all settled down, once things all shake out, and you can't know. But think about this. Wrap your mind around this. Let's say you're a country that rhymes with Bina. Let's say you dislike the United States of America. Not exactly a secret. They have attacked us cyber-wise a million different times. We continue to catch Chinese spies in this country all the time. Professors, a senator from the most powerful state in the union, Diane Feinstein, had her own driver as, as a was discovered as a Chinese spy forever. China has been moving aggressively, continuously on the world stage to be an imperial power, to have the yen take over the dollar. They want America down. In fact, they're fairly open about it. They've written books on it. They have a 25-year plan, a 50-year plan. So we know this is an enemy. We know they want us gone. We know that. That's not debatable. 
What's China watching and seeing right now? Let's just call China Germany in this situation. What's China watching us do? Do you think the United States of America deciding on its own, I don't care what other countries do, don't tell me about Italy or anything else, do you think the United States of America deciding on its own that the appropriate response to a virus is to destroy our economic system? Do you think the Chinese are looking at that and thinking to themselves, man, that's really smart? Or do you think they're looking looking at that and thinking, we might have an opportunity here? What would you be thinking? Always, 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 as difficult as this is, and I admit it, it's difficult because we hate them, and we should. They're our enemy. But always put yourself in the enemy's shoes and try to see things the way he sees things. If you're China right now, driving in your car on the way to work or going home, put yourself in his shoes. You're in charge of China, and your job, one of your missions in life, is to bring down the United States of America. And you see a virus that has killed I mean, it's significant. What are we up to now? 12, 13, 14,000 Americans? Certainly deadly. It's certainly not pleasant. I not, would never say otherwise. It's terrible. But you look and say, well, wait a minute. They just, they just shut down their economy over that? Maybe we, and understand this, they look at things through a longer lens than we do over there. They're infamous for it. So many countries just have a different culture in that way. Afghanistan, China, they just look at things through a longer lens. They don't look at, well, we have to take down America. We have to do it in five years. They don't look at it that way. It's a lifetime for them. It's a commitment. What would you do if if you're them after this? Let things die down. Let things shake out. Keep churning out cheap Chinese-made crap. And if I were them, I'd be building the next one in a lab somewhere. And you know what? We're not going to know if that's what they're doing or if that was their plan for years, maybe not even in my lifetime. But I'll tell you what, that's what I'd be doing. That's what I'd be doing. We need to be... Very careful what we have going on right now. You see, we have brand new revisions today. I know. Stop me if you've heard this before. We have brand new revisions, shaving another 20,000 off the death estimates for this COVID-19. And what I will not abide from anybody is holding up a body. You all remember, right? I'm sure, I'm sure everybody remembers there. There's this piece of, Hey, you see this? We have a model. This is, this is the Imperial college model. We have a model. This is the model. This is our model. You see what, this is what the virus is going to do. This is the model. And this model says we're going to kill one to 2 million Americans with this 50 million worldwide. That's what the model said. I'm not making that up. That's what the model said. 50 million worldwide, one to 2 million Americans. 
We even had that Dr. Burks on TV. I mean, what was it, last week? Standing up and saying, we could still see one to two million dead Americans. Unless, unless we mitigate, unless we mitigate, and if we mitigate, I hope we can get that number to 100 or 200,000. I didn't make that up. She said that. She said that on national television. She pointed at the American people and said, if you do everything right, still 100,000 or 200,000 of you are going to die. Oh, and she even scolded everyone at the same time and said, but you're not doing everything right. You're not doing it. So we were told specifically we weren't mitigating right. We were told 2 million people were going to die if we didn't mitigate right. We were told best case scenario, 100 or 200,000, and that's down to 60,000. And people, their livelihoods are being napalmed. I'll tell you about that. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. Well, Chris, the dishwasher repair saga continues. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Mitchell was actually in the room for part of the conversation the other day. Everybody remembers from two days ago. Let me do a brief recap for you. Dishwasher is doing this thing where it's... See that? I do my own sound effects for the show. We're professional like that. It's doing this thing, and it's blinking. All the lights on top are blinking, so you can't press start. You can't press stop. It's like it's always running. I I don't know how to fix a dishwasher. I, I mean, I... I'm not totally unhandy, but I'm kind of unhandy. I'm that level of unhandy where it's not girlish, but you wouldn't call me handy. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, Chris? See, well, somebody like Chris would consider me not handy because he goes home and he, you know, rebuilds engines. And you remember, he builds his own menorah from roadside wood. I, I don't know how to do that. That's not, it would never even enter my mind to look at some wood on the side of the road and think, oh, I can build something with that. Back to my dishwasher. Don't let me get distracted today, Chris. We're going to focus for three hours. Dishwasher bus. I call the dishwasher repairman. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You can go back and listen to it the other, from the other day. Dishwasher repairman has some busted, busted English. And it's not, it's not Spanish. It was not Spanglish, he was telling me. It was something, I'm telling you, it was Portuguese or something, Chris. Even though I don't speak Portuguese. You sound super educated when you say it's Portuguese because everyone's like, wow, he's refined. I've never been to Portugal, nor do I have any intention of going. But that's another story. But his English is severely busted, and we're having a very difficult time communicating. I finally get the guy an appointment set up. Of, he's supposed to show up between 5 and 8 at night. But stop me if you've heard this before. Of course, about 8.15, I get a phone call saying he's on the way. 
Okay, fine. I finally get him into my house. That was an entire episode in itself. Many of you will remember. I get him into the home. He tries to explain to me what he's doing throughout the process, but I don't understand him. And then when he's done, and now I'm reflecting back on this, because I didn't register at the time. When he was finished, he was like, I've got some good news and bad news. And, and he tried to lay out for me what the good news and bad news was. Only I didn't hear any bad news. I, it all sounded like it was fine. Now, he, he was trying to explain what he did or didn't do, but it sounded fine. So, okay, yeah, just fix the dishwasher. But I'm fine. I'm, I'll pay you to fix the dishwasher. You're a dishwasher repairman. I have you out here. It's like that Seinfeld stand-up comedy bit with the with the pilot who's explaining the route. Have you ever heard that bit, Chris? It's a hilarious bit from Seinfeld. I highly recommend it. You know what, Chris? YouTube it. We're going to play that bit on this where, where Seinfeld does the pilot. Either way, he's explaining what he's doing. I don't need to know what you're doing. I'm not in any way interested in the process. Here's some money to fix my dishwasher. You fix my dishwasher, and when you're finished, you stand up and say, I'm done. Your dishwasher is fixed. And that's the end of our relationship. If that sounds mean, that's because I am a sociopath. Now, I'm not mean to service people. I should say that. But well, long story short, I saw, he hands me the piece of paper, and he tries to explain something that's on it. But it's one of those things you sign to say he was there and goodbye. And it was 85 bucks. All right, f- fine. What, Chris? Why are you looking at me like that? So you, was that expensive? Is 85 bucks expensive? I didn't know. I've never had a dishwasher fixed before. Of course you did it yourself, Chris. Don't rub that in everyone's face. <laughs> I did not fix it myself. I signed the piece of paper. He's not gone for an hour. And already the dishwasher again is starting. And I'm all, oh, gosh. I give him a call next day. Leave a message. No, no call back. Because I don't want to pay 85 bucks twice. I want to call and do exactly what everyone would do. What exactly what you would do. I want to call and say, hey, I, I paid you 85 bucks. The dishwasher is very much not fixed. Please come back. Help. Finally, I get, a, I get him on the phone yesterday. And, uh, uh, okay, uh, so we're, what, uh, what, what dishwasher was it? And, I mean, and I'm, I'm trying to remember there's this heavy, heavy language barrier. And I'm trying to explain which house I am. And it's not only a heavy language barrier. He's one of these people. Have you ever known one of these people? They don't understand, and I don't know, maybe this is an art. Maybe this is something you learn. He's one of these people who talks over you after he asks you a question and you're answering the question. Like he doesn't understand the appropriate pace of a conversation where you speak and then I speak and then you speak and then I speak. And I can actually see you through the radio nodding your head right now because I know you know somebody like that. Hey, man, have you seen the weather out there today? It's really crazy. Actually, I have. I love the sun. I just can't believe the weather out here. Just people like that. And so the language barrier on top of his poor conversational pacing made this phone conversation extremely, extremely difficult. Well, which house is it? It's the house at, uh, at four or five. So, uh, which house did you say? Well, I, I'm trying to explain it to you, but you just, you just interrupted me three times. 
And and what what was wrong with the with with the dishwasher? It was continued. What what did you say was wrong? Again, you're 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 interrupting me, and now I'm now I'm frustrated. Finally, though, we get to well, what the problem was. I'll explain. The Jesse Kelly Show. There's some confusion, judging by the feedback I'm getting, on what I mean by a conversational pacing. One, people fail, especially on the phone. This is much more difficult on the phone. People fail to properly enunciate and speak up, and that hurts things too. Poor hearing hurts things. And what I mean by enunciate and speak up, this is what I mean. Everybody thinks they can talk on the phone in the same way that everybody thinks they know how to read out loud. In the same way everybody thinks they know how to talk into a microphone, like at a fast food place. And there is a specific skill to that. You can't probably do it just out of the blue. You either are born with it or somebody has to teach it to you. And before I continue with my little dishwasher saga, I'm going to teach you what I mean coming back, and it's going to help you the rest of your life. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Now, this is what I mean by speaking on the phone, by reading out loud, by speaking into a microphone to somebody or a radio or a walkie-talkie or maybe you're a fast food worker or your children are. And here's what you need to tell them. When you're reading out loud, you're not reading. You're reading to someone. And those are two extremely different things. And people need to be taught this. You see, if I'm going to read this article, this one's about Alyssa Milano. We'll get to it in a little while. And I'm reading it as if I'm just reading it. It's going to sound like this. Melissa Milano is defending her decision to stay silent in the wake of the recently surfaced allegation against former Vice President Joe Biden because that's the pace I'm reading it in my head. Was that clear to you? Did you catch all that? If I'm reading it out loud, it's going to sound like 
Alyssa Milano is defending her decision to stay silent in the wake of a recently surfaced allegation. Is that a little different? At a fast food restaurant. Maybe you work there. Maybe your kid works there. I mean, I'm going to make my kids work there or do something like that. you got to have some crappy jobs before you actually get to your career in life. How many times have you pulled up to the drive-thru and this is what you heard? Well, I got a jacket about going to help you in the city of Superside today. Okay. Wait. What? I would like a, uh, I'd like a, a double cheeseburger. Do you want the combo? No, what I want is you to shut up for five seconds while I complete my sentence, and I won't answer that for you. I had this one famous thing, and this went across social media like wildfire when I put it out there because it was so true. I called this chicken wing restaurant, and I'm not going to, not going to get into the name of it right now, although I think I probably did blast them by name back in the day. I was reckless, Chris. <laughs> and I called because I know all the information that I that they need, and I want to make it easy and simple on them and easy and simple on me. And this is how the conversation went. I call, and I say, I would like 10 bone-in lemon pepper wings with blue cheese as the dip, Fries as the side and a lemonade as the drink. And that is verbatim. That's what I said. Ten bone-in lemon pepper wings with blue cheese as the dip, fries as the side, lemonade as the drink. And you know what they said back to me? On my life. This is this is on my life. How many wings did you say? Uh I want ten. And what flavor do you want? Lemon pepper. And do you want ranch or blue cheese as the side? I'm, I want, I just said I want blue cheese. Okay, and fries or vegetables? Fri- Did you? I want fries. Okay, and to drink? Lemonade. People don't listen. People don't speak. People wait for their turn to talk. And when they get a turn to talk, they try to vomit it all out as humanly, as fast as humanly possible. Slow down. Enunciate. And when you're done speaking, listen. Sounds simple? You may be sitting there saying, well, yeah, but believe me. Anybody who's lived this life for any amount of time knows what I just said. That information is not followed. (laughs) That instruction is not followed by a lot of people, Chris. Now, back to my dishwasher situation. I end the phone call with the person of of basically telling him, Okay, ne- never mind. I don't I don't want you to come back. I'm just going to find someone. Else. Okay, I can still come back. No, you're not understanding me. I don't I don't I don't want you to come back. I I can come back if you want me to come back. I just said three times that I don't want you to come back. You know what? Just don't come back, please. And I just hung up the phone. Now I'm scrambling. And I, I have a busted dishwasher, and it's not exactly making us a pioneer family venturing across the old west trying to keep from getting scalped by Comanches. But we are washing all the dishes by hand in the house. And once you've gotten used to a dishwasher in your life, that sucks. And I've had, you know, my first apartment didn't have a dishwasher. But it's a little bit different when you're a single dude 
than it is when you're a family of four and your kids have no regard, no regard whatsoever for how many dishes they use because they're privileged little snots who've always grown up with air conditioning and a dishwasher. I mean, it's not like we're made of money, but they've always had a dishwasher in the house. I bet even Chris has a dishwasher. Yeah, even Chris. And Chris is cheap. I'm surprised he hasn't pawned it off. So now we're washing dishes by hand. So I don't want to say things are desperate because people are dying in the country right now of a pandemic. People are having their jobs wiped out in front of them. So we're not desperate here. But we are washing dishes by hand, and it sucks. I make a phone call yesterday to a new dishwasher company after I got frustrated with my guy. Oh, okay, he'll call you back this morning. He'll call you back tomorrow morning. Calls me back this morning. And you know what he says? You know, it's probably a small leak, but you should go ahead and just call the manufacturer because I don't think I can fix that. (laughs) You're a dishwasher repairman. What would you say you do here? Yeah, it sounds like your dishwasher's busted. You better call someone about that. I'm calling you. It's like taking my car into the mechanic. Well, I'm having engine trouble. And he takes a look at it and says, man, I'll tell you what. You sure are. You got to get one of your belts replaced. You should call someone about that. That's what I called you for. What are you doing? So here we are, Chris. I guess, look, I guess I can either try to call someone else, try to call the manufacturer, Or maybe we're just going to go full polygamy and I'll get two or three more wives and then I'll pile up all the dishes and it won't matter at all. Ladies, if you wouldn't mind. Although Valentine's Day would probably get fairly expensive. How do those people do that? You know, I've never really thought about that before. Birthdays. Well, it wouldn't be birthdays too. It would, they all, it's not, I don't think the birthdays would. I don't think the birthdays would be as bad as you think because they'd be spread out. You'd have to keep your eyes on that. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to link up with more than one. You know, with well, we're both. Mine's the February twenty first, and mine's tw- February twenty fifth. Isn't that neat? No, that would get expensive. That's the same paycheck having to unload on them. But what would get expensive would be the big, big, big holidays where you need uh, Christmas, Valentine's Day would be brutal. Imagine trying to keep track of your anniversaries. I legitimately don't know what mine is, and I've been married I, 13 or 14 years. I don't know what one we're coming up on. I have no earthly idea. I'd never be able to track three of them. I bet they eat good, though, but gosh, who would want that much? That's a lot of women in the house. Isn't it? Are we allowed to say that? Are we going to get in trouble again? That's a lot of women. That's a lot of women in the house. I'm not signing up for that. All right. I have a theory. It's just theory. Now, it's me, so it's probably right. But I have a theory on why we've chosen in this day and age to lock down entire countries when it comes to a virus. And I'm just going to be very frank with you. This theory is going to sound mean. It's going to sound like I'm the biggest cold-hearted jerk in the history of mankind. 
But remember, this is not your mommy's show. This is my show. And I understand that this is going to get me in trouble again. But I'm correct. Hang on, I'll tell you about it. Missed out? Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com All right, Chris, let's get in trouble again. Do you want to know why what we're doing right now has never been done before? And let's just be clear about this. This has never been done before that I can find. Throughout the history of the world, all the pandemics, no nation as a whole has shut the entire thing down. There were shutdowns during the Spanish flu, which was really bad, but not not near on this level. Nothing. I mean, it would be like... The city of Philadelphia was hit, and they banned, you know, movie theaters, which is kind of a no, no-brainer, no these mass public gatherings. But it has never been done before. And I want to play you a clip really quickly. This is, she was a nurse in New York, and this video, this audio you're about to hear of this video, it went viral. It went across the internet. CBS News actually ran with it and ran with the headline of this nurse saying this. I quit my job today. I wanted to work and I was assigned to a COVID patient on an ICU unit that has been converted to a designated COVID unit. None of the nurses are wearing masks, not even surgical masks in the hallways when they're giving report to each other. I had my own N95 mask. I told my manager, I understand we're short on supplies, but let me protect myself. Let me feel safe. I have family that I have to come home to and the way things are looking, this isn't gonna get any better. America is not prepared. The nurses are not being protected. It's devastating, right? You can hear the desperation, the sadness. This frontline nurse escaping to save herself, not being given the equipment she needs. And it was all crap. None of it was true. The reason we are facing unprecedented actions from nations, not from individual companies, not from individual cities, not from individual states, from nations, the most powerful nations in the world, it's because we have become a social media addicted emotional planet where sober, rational, 
although difficult, decision-making is treated as the most horrific, barbaric thing in the world. Because you, it takes one, com, turned out to be completely fake video from a fake nurse to travel around the world. What's that old Mark Twain saying? A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes? Those days are gone. A lie can travel around the world 10,000 times while the truth is still putting on its shoes in the morning. And now, multiply that story times a million? Two million? Do you have any idea the blowback I've received from my political pundit friends, from my politician friends, for my open the economy backup stance? Do you have any idea the friends I've lost, the things I've been called? And this is only going to make it worse, so go ahead and tune in, listen up, because this is the truth of the matter. If you are a world leader, a mayor, a governor, a prime minister, a president, if you are any kind of a leader and you are presented with two options, and these are, these are very likely two options we were presented. You're presented with two options. And on this side... The option is, well, you can not lock your entire country down. It will result in more deaths, but you will preserve your economic system. If you do not lock your country down, 100,000 people are going to die, but you will save your economic system. That's option one. 100,000 dead, save the economic system. Option two. Over here. Option two is you can lock your country down. Only 50,000 will die, but you will cause a Great Depression and trash your economy. Throughout the history of the world, that would be a no-brainer for any sane leader ever. Even if you didn't advertise it, Anybody with an ounce of sanity and an IQ above a gerbil would say, well, I've got to take the 100,000 dead because I have to preserve my economic system because that's going to kill a lot more people. However, in this day and age, in this media age, if you say, I'll get in trouble for what I just said. In this day and age, it's not even an option for you as a world leader to say that. No, we can't. We Look, if it saves one life, we have to slaughter every small business in America, which is the most anti-human, overly emotional, insane solution I've ever heard in my life. And it's what we've done. And not only is it what we've done, this is the part that floors me. It's almost been universally accepted across the planet. Now, I'm grateful for nations like South Korea, for nations like Sweden. I'm hearing Australia, who tried the lockdown, already like, uh, this isn't going to work, reversing course. I'm grateful there were countries that stood up and said, uh, we are not doing that. That's a terrible idea. But almost universally accepted was this idea of we cannot accept a single death. Well, that sounds really nice on Twitter. That sounds like you're 
an extremely compassionate person when you're putting up a Facebook post about it. When you're doing an Instagram video about we cannot accept a single death. (laughs) That's also insane. There is a cost-benefit analysis to everything. We cannot accept a single death. No, we don't want a single death. I don't want my grandpa to die. I don't want my aunts and uncles to die. Anybody I love, anybody I care about, that would be the most devastating thing for me in the history of the world. However, as a leader, those are the decisions you're obligated to make. Not that you might make. You are obligated to take a step back as a sober, rational human being, at least you used to be, you are obligated to take a step back and say, okay, we can't. We can't do this. We can't do this. But what our response to this has been, more than anything else, is reflective of the overly emotional social media age in which we live. And do not discount social media. It's easy, especially if you're older. I don't even understand what that is. I don't even, I don't even understand what Twitter is. That's fine that you don't. I'm not encouraging anyone to get on there. Do whatever you do. It's, it's your life. But you do need to understand this. You may not care about it. The people who make decisions for nations, they do care about it. They do listen to it. And that's how you end up carpet bombing your economy over a virus. The Jesse Kelly Show. Some freaking sanity back in the government. And joining me now is somebody you guys will know well, especially listeners of my show. His name is Sean Parnell. He's an Afghanistan war veteran. He's an author of some great books. And now he's running for Congress in a swing district in Pennsylvania that is currently held by a Democrat. And this is a seat that can be won so if you're disgusted by Nancy Pelosi trying to put in a $25 million raise for Congress in the stimulus bill, might want to look into Sean Parnell. Sean, I'm already looking at, in your own state, emergency food lines that go on for miles. I'm looking at yep. unemployment lines in Florida of thousands of people crowded together trying to get money. Americans are running out of food and yet the political pundit class continues to point their finger at the American people and say, shut up and stay home. And, brother, I've had about enough of it. 
Yeah, I have to say that this, you know, my district, PA 17, is really is really ground zero for the sacrifice and struggle that is sort of emblematic of all Americans across the country right now, Jesse. I mean, the 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 IMHE, uh, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, almost on a daily basis has adjusted their model to decrease the mortality rate of COVID-19, decrease the amount of ventilators that we need. So we continue to see evidence that this, that the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, isn't as bad as what they initially projected, which is what the lockdowns were based on, right? Uh, so I say all that to say, as the data evolves, and it is evolving daily, so too should our pandemic response strategy. You know, we have to really take an approach, a two-pronged approach, like let's protect public health and public safety, and let's protect the health of our economy. You know, every, every community across the country has been affected differently by this. And as, as more data, as the data continues to evolve, we should slowly open back up our economy because people's lives and livelihoods are on the line here. I think Pennsylvania was one of the worst in the worst hit in the entire nation with, with unemployment numbers. And I'm getting calls from people every single day, people's and people in small businesses saying, my God, Sean, please help. Please help talk some sanity into into my congressman and into our governor. I mean, my 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 congressman right now, my opponent Jesse, says that it is a false choice as to whether or not the government should protect public health or reopen the economy, and then goes on to advocate for keeping things locked down until we defeat the virus. The more we sacrifice now, the better it will be later. You can't Ugh. defeat. A virus. You can't defeat a virus without a vaccine. And we can't keep this country locked down for 18 months. It's implausible. You can't print enough cash to assuage people's financial woes and, and small businesses' financial woes right now. These businesses will go away forever. See, this is why uh, Sean was we, an officer and I was an enlisted guy, because he uses words like assuage, and I don't even know what that <laughs> word means. I, don't, I genuinely don't even know what that word But you're right. Look, you're right, Sean. You're right. The... There aren't great answers, and I don't want to present it, and I know you're not presenting it this way, as if there's just some, you know, well, there's just this simple solution. There's not. We're fighting a deadly pandemic. Right. People are dying, but we are making it so much worse. I mean, Sean, someone explain to me how it's good for the, quote, public health that I've been scolded about for three weeks to be laying off nurses and doctors across the United States of America because they're now not allowed to do certain surgeries to keep the books afloat. How is that helping right. public health at all? We have pediatricians going out of business. We have dentists going out of business. We have local family doctors going out of business because they can't even do their practice right now. Right, right. And you're, and you're talking specifically in areas that aren't as affected as, say, mm -hmm. New York City, right? The money, a lot of these small practices for dentists and doctors, they're, they're a small business, too. And right now, they're shut down in, in, in areas that, that aren't as affected by COVID-19, right? Because there's no money coming in. They can't know, you can't do what, what they call what elected, elective procedures right now. So they're shutting down all across the country. And so that's why I've been advocating for a nuanced approach to this. And, and as you said, Jesse, no one is saying that we shouldn't take this, that we shouldn't take COVID-19 seriously. In fact, I've heard you say it both on your radio show and on your, on your TV show. 
Of course we should take it seriously, but we should also take safeguarding our economy seriously as well, because I think what's happening is if this goes on much beyond May, if it goes on beyond May 1st, Jesse, I think we're going to see generational economic harm that our children will have to bear in the future if we don't figure out a better approach to, to our pandemic response. Sean, I'll tell you something else that concerns me about this, and it concerns me a lot. I actually opened up the show talking about it today, is if I'm China, and China's our enemy, everybody knows it, well, I don't need to belabor that point, and I look at the American response to a virus being released into our country, accidentally and for a purpose, it doesn't matter, and I look at what Americans now deem appropriate when a virus breaks out, if I'm China, I'm high-fiving right now, brother. I'm saying to myself, well... Maybe not right now, but in a few years, why don't we just get them to do this again? If I know, if I'm the, if I'm the dirty Chinese communist scumbags, and I know the Americans will simply cut off their own heads as soon as a virus breaks out, I'm saying to myself, man, we're in high cotton today, baby, because we're going to do this again. Yeah, I mean, it certainly gives our enemy intelligence in terms of this being almost like, I, mean, I don't want to say it's a dry run because this is, I mean, this is this this has affected our economy. This has affected people's lives. But I mean, imagine if there were a virus uh, that was unleashed onto uh, America that is far worse than than COVID nineteen. Imagine what our response would be. I mean, our response to COVID nineteen certainly gives our enemies uh, certainly gives our enemies a window into how America would would respond, right? And and that is why. I mean, this this is all part of the reason why that when the dust settles from, from, from this pandemic and we finally get it under control and we finally reopen the, the, the economy, we have to hold China accountable for this. And I think step one to that is to bring our medical device production and our antibiotic production back to the United States. It needs to be mandatory. Our aircraft carriers and our fighter jets are all manufactured here in America by American workers with American steel. That needs to happen step one. Step two is tax incentives for companies to bring their businesses back here, like Apple, they should not be doing business in China anymore, right? We, we need to offer them tax incentives to come back here. And three, China needs to pay reparations to the world. And it needs to start right here in the United States by them canceling our debt. I mean, we owe them, I think, north of a trillion dollars. That needs to go away because they have caused, through their lies and obfuscation, trillions of dollars of economic damage here in this country, American lives totally destroyed, but not just in America, all over the world. So, like phase one is let's deal with this pandemic. Let's reopen our economy. But phase two is let's make sure that China is held accountable. Sean, why'd you join the army instead of something decent like the Marine Corps? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I honestly, I, I wasn't really thinking much about it. The towers fell and I wanted to get in the fight as fast as humanly possible. And I feel like the army gave me the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, look, that's okay, man. I mean, look, we all make mistakes. I get that. What are you having for breakfast? Uh, well, I got to cook the kids' breakfast, so I think I'm going to make them. Oh, I think should I'm going to make good. some eggs. What well, can... I make make some eggs, make some Eggo waffles. Right, it's a gourmet meal. <laughs> Everybody loves Eggo waffles. What kind of eggs do you make your kids? I try to get mine to just do scrambled with delicious jalapenos and cheese, and they don't like anything in it. That's too much, man. You, I mean, you you don't want something that hardcore for breakfast with jalapenos. I just do like I just do eggs, scrambled eggs with shredded cheddar. You can't su- go wrong with that. You're such a Yankee, Sean Parnell. Give out your website real quick. You got to get out of here. It's SeanForCongress.co. SeanForCongress.co. Be good, my man. Sean Parnell, go support him Take if you care, can, Jesse. people. If you want to stop this madness, okay. 
it's time to have it's it's time to discuss exactly what China can do, what China has done, and if it's our fault. Hang on. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. The World Health Organization. I'm not going to break down everything they do because, to be honest, it's freaking boring. But they have covered for China throughout this process. Extensively covered for China. Spoke out against locking down travel from China. Have really been a mouthpiece for the Communist Party in China. Guess who funds the World Health Organization? You do. To the tune of 500 million last year, the United States of America is by far the biggest funder of the World Health Organization. The United Nations. This just came out not too long ago. China. Oh, by the way, you, you know who the biggest funder of the United Nations is, right? You aware? Yeah. That's right. China appointed to the UN Human Rights Group despite routine human rights violations. That's the headline. Zhang Duan, a minister of China's mission to the UN, was selected to serve on the UN Human Rights Council's consultative group, a five-nation body that plays a key role in selecting human rights investigators who will oversee the abuses across the globe. That is like appointing Jeffrey Dahmer to oversee a committee that will investigate various serial killers. And we fund it. And I saw those two things, the World Health Organization crap and the UN crap. And I have to be honest, I thought about that Lenin quote, which I always scoffed at. I always scoffed at it. I was like, they're so stupid. Those dirty commie Russians. We won the Cold War. Screw them. I thought about that Lenin quote, and I thought to myself, I mean, where was he wrong? This was Lenin's quote. Quote, when it comes time to hang the capitalists, they will vie with each other for the rope contract. They'll fund their own destruction, is what he was saying. Where is he wrong? Where was he wrong? China exists on the level that they exist because of us. You know why you never see a Hollywood movie now, ever, with an anti-Chinese message. You know, right? Because if they even attempt to put one in, 
China will order them to stop. Order them to change it. Order them to make alterations. And they do it. And they do it. You know, Hollywood. Everybody knows American cinema. It's known across the world. Everybody lo- loves our movies. Oh, our, our our movies have to get the Chinese sign-off first. They have to get the Chinese sign-off first. There are endless examples I could give you of China editing a movie that's already been completed. They'll review it, and they'll flat-out call the studio and say, Oh, um, <clears throat> yeah. Sorry about that. You're going to have to take that scene out. Oh, we didn't like this. They have ordered American movie makers to reshoot scenes after the fact, and they've done it. (laughs) I kid you not. I kid you not. How right was Lenin? When it comes time to hang the capitalists, they will vie with each other for the rope contract. I see reports. From NBC News, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, NBC News is the oldest news organization in the country, right? I'm almost positive of it. Yeah, it's close. If it's not, it's close. I mean, NBC News is, whether you like them or hate them, I can't stand them, but NBC News is a a pillar of American society. (laughs) They've been around for as long as there's been TV. NBC News yesterday ran a headline that there were no new coronavirus deaths out of China. Something that every single person on the planet, and I mean everybody knows, is completely false. Everyone knows that's Chinese propaganda. The rumors of what has happened and what's still happening in Wuhan are frightening. And they're rumors. You don't know what to believe. They're so, it's such an insular society. They don't let anybody in, so you don't know. There were stories yesterday that the incinerators have never stopped going yet, that they're burning out, that they're actually loading multiple people up in the incinerators at one time, that so many people are dying. I mean, it sounds like a absolute horrific hellscape right now in Wuhan, and you don't know if all those are true. There was a rumor yesterday from some very credible journalists, but you, again, you don't know that they were actually loading people who were still alive into body bags because they didn't think they could save them and chucking them in the incinerator. And yet we have the oldest news organization in the United States of America repeating Chinese propaganda. We have Hollywood editing their films for the Chinese. We have America, your money, funding the UN, funding the World Health Organization. You can mock and hate Lenin all you want. I do. Daggone, the guy was a prophet. The Jesse Kelly Show. I think 
we like to comfort ourselves with certain thoughts, and I don't blame you for it because I do the exact same thing. We lie to ourselves often. We all do it. <laughs> I'm probably the worst at it. You remember my loaded jack-in-the-box tacos I was going to get after the show yesterday, which turned out to suck, Chris. Those sucked. I'm glad I got a burger with it because I somehow knew your food recommendation would suck. But you know what I told myself when I ate it? Same thing you tell yourself when you stop and grab a burger and fries. Ah, oh, it's, it's not that bad. It's just one. It's not that bad. And then 50,000 of them later, you're laying on an operating table as they saw your chest open, and you're like, well, I mean, I'm, I guess it was more than one. We tell ourselves lies. It's human nature. We tell ourselves lives to make life easier. And we are, as a nation, all of us, we're telling ourselves a big one right now. I'll tell you what I mean in a sec. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. We tell ourselves lies. Little lies to make ourselves feel better. And one of those lies is we like to believe that we're not in a Cold War with China. We are, and we have been. It's just a very strange Cold War, and that we're that married couple who hate each other's guts and really, really, really want each other to die. And she's pouring a little bleach in his coffee every morning. And he cut her brake lines yesterday. But we're still living together. It's that kind of relationship. We buy lots of their cheap crap. They buy our debt. We go to the same neighborhood outings. You know, we're all we're both in the UN. We're both involved in the World Health Organization. Hey, Xi Jinping, I'll see you there next month, huh? Jerk. It's a weird Cold War, but we're in one. And the problem is we have told ourselves the lie that we're not. Well, we're competitors. I mean, obviously, I don't like China, but China, they openly acknowledge they're in one. (laughs) China's like, well, yeah. I hate your guts. I hope you die. Anyway, see you for dinner. It's what we're in. And you know another lie we tell ourselves? We tell ourselves that youth sports are fun. You know the people who think youth sports are fun? There are only two kinds of people who think youth sports are enjoyable. One, somebody whose kid is really, really good at youth sports. Two, people without kids. I got in 
humongous trouble one time. Well, I should say I got in humongous trouble with the general public, with the media pundits. I did not get in trouble with my people who all got it. But I went to some robotics tournament. My kid was in, my oldest son was in a Lego robotics tournament. And let me be clear about this. I support it. I think it's awesome that he uses his mind. I think it's cool his mind works like that. My mind does not. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Jesse, that's because you're stupid. That's true. But I can't get a box of Legos. And I mean, I can get a box of Legos and follow the instructions and put stuff together. He can pour out... um, He can pour out a box of Legos. He can pour out a box and just say, you know, I'm going to build a boat. And he'll build a boat. And it's not as if one of the, it's not like one of those crappy childhood drawings where they're like, look, it's a picture of you and daddy. And it's these two horrific looking stick figures. And you're like, ah, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. He'll build you a boat. With sails and everything. And look, I've got cannons out the side. He'll build a boat. So I like that he uses his mind. I'm proud. And they had this thing at his school where they had a teacher and they would show up and they would learn programming. You would have, don't ask me the details. He tried to tell me, but I wasn't really paying attention. They have various electronic components and you would build a machine, a vehicle of some kind out of Legos, and you'd put electronical components inside of it or electric. Do you say electronical or electric, Chris? What's the appropriate word there? Is it electric? I said electronical. I'm going to keep going with that. I like I like my word better, so I'm sticking with it. So you put these electronical p- components in the Legos, and you would make it do certain things. All right, if I switch this button here, then it'll go pick up this rock and drive it across thing and set it down, and they would – there are actual competitions for this across the country. And let me let me again just say, if your kid is into this or you're thinking about putting your kid into it, I do recommend it. Look, your kid can be the former football player at 45 with blown out knees or the kid can be the nerd throughout high school who never got the girl but then makes $500,000 a year by the time he's 30. Which one do you think is a better life? He's not going to have any trouble getting girls when he's driving a Mercedes. Let's just be honest about that. That's the truth. If your kid is considering it, I would highly recommend it. But, and this is a really, really big but, but they have, (laughs) they have tournaments. They have, on my life, they have Lego robotics tournaments. And there are teams. You know, my son and his school, they had their Lego robotics team. And there were actually like tryouts and stuff. They have Lego, they had their Lego robotics team. And this school across town has this Lego robotics team. And they, it's not, by the way, it's not just city. There was a state tournament, there was a national tournament if you qualify. And I want, I want you to know this. You don't have to do this thing which every Facebook mom thinks she has to do and go to the Lego robotics tournament 
and talk about how special little Timmy is. Oh, look at Braden. I'm so happy. I've never been so thrilled to be somewhere. Here are my 15 pictures. Hang on. I can't hang on, Braden. Don't don't move. I need to fix my hair so I look good in this selfie. Psst. And throw 10 pictures up on Facebook about how it's the greatest thing in the history of mankind. Oh, shut up. You have vodka in your coffee because it sucks. It sucks. And you know it sucks. And I've never got this thing where people feel like they have to lie about who they are. They have to lie about whether they enjoy things or don't enjoy things. And you can say, oh, that, Jesse, that's just because you're a sociopath. And that's true. I don't, I don't say something so you think I think a certain way. I, I, I openly acknowledge on the show I am a terrible person. I know I am. I'm a bad person. But I don't show up at these things and pretend like this is the greatest day of my life. And they would go through rounds. You show up at this robotics tournament, and there was actually an announcer. And coming up at at one, the blue team has to try to overtake the seat. And I can't stop laughing this entire time. They're presenting it like it's this giant. (laughs) They're presenting it like it's March Madness. And there were referees. I kid you not. There were referees in their striped referee uniforms. Foul. That's a foul on a team. You can't actually move that block there. That was an illegal procedure. From If you cite section one versus nine, <laughs> the worst, the worst experience ever. On top of that, we're not talking an hour out of your day here. It was eight hours long. A Lego robotics tournament that was eight hours hours long and I went and I hugged him and I bought him junk food especially when the wife wasn't looking and we were hanging out and I told him I was proud of him and I am proud of him and I'm glad he's doing it and at least a small part of me hopes he does it again but you don't have to lie to yourself and you don't have to lie to friends and family about the things that are good about the things that are enjoyable You don't have to tell these lies. There's no need. You don't have to have a fake life for all the people around you. You can just be. You can just be. And so I haven't told myself this lie during the lockdown that I'm seeing from so many parents out there, and I know you're a bunch of freaking liars, this lie they say of, I miss youth sports. Oh, no, you don't. You enjoy getting up at 6.30 on a a Saturday morning, throwing the cooler in the back of the truck with all the lawn chairs and knowing you're about to go roast in the sun for six-year-old soccer games for the next five hours. Be serious. Jesse Kelly.
Joe Biden has an advisor. Ezekiel Emanuel is his name. And before I bring on this audio and blast him, I need to explain something. We all, on some level, not trying to make an excuse for the guy, I don't know him, just off this audio, I don't like him, but we all, on some level, lose perspective, right? It's very difficult to keep perspective, isn't it? Ever been poor and then make a little money? You think you know what poverty is? We used to, uh, told you the other day when we were in Thailand, we used to marvel at the poverty. When we were in Iraq, we used to marvel at the poverty. You'd, You'd be out in the middle of the jungle and you'd come across this, I mean, something straight out of the movies, this Grass hut looks like it might be 10 by 10. And you see a family of five out in the yard. She's hanging up clothes on something. The kids are digging in the dirt, playing rocks, tattered clothing falling off their bodies. And we used to be stunned by that. We would look at them and we would think, man, that is poverty. That is real poverty. And the cruelest thing, we, we, we did these social experiments in our head. We're just messing around. But we would say, you know what the cruelest thing in the world would be? Would be to take that kid and for one day teleport that kid into the middle of Disneyland and give that kid a little taste of how other parts of the world live. And then, boom, teleport the kid back. You'd go mad. you go mad with all the things you don't have. Perspective is difficult to have. And once you've made it in life, it's very, very difficult to keep. And for so many of these people in government, this is the issue. When you have these mayors, these governors, people in Congress, president, when you have these people who are, they've been put in a place where they feel like they can dictate to others, where they feel like they are in charge and their advisors, and they're not missing a paycheck, and they're not going hungry. When you have these people, it's easy to lose perspective. And some of them, like Ezekiel Emanuel, he doesn't sound like he even wants any perspective. No one is immune to the COVID-19 virus. It threatens all of us. But while we are all experiencing the same pandemic, we are not experiencing it in the same way. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We are not all experiencing the same pandemic. I am, and I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him go on here for just a second, Chris, in a second. He's going to elaborate a little, but there's one thing I can't stand to hear anymore. And frankly, I'm talking to several of my friends when I say this, please stop using the words, We're all in this together. If you make your living from your home right now, if you, for any reason, have not missed a paycheck right now, then we are not all in this together. If you're a Hollywood actor from your mansion with your servants around you, we're not all in this together. If you're a political pundit, and let's say you were a contributor to CNN, 
and now you have to do your your TV hits from Skype on your couch. And those contributor checks are still coming in. You don't get to use the words, we're all in this together. If you're in Congress and you're still getting your hair cut and you go down and pump iron in the congressional gym and you haven't missed a paycheck and you still have a belly full of food, you don't get to use the words, we're all in this together because we have lines of cars miles long of Americans waiting for food. We have people crowding into unemployment lines in Florida. We are not all in this together. And I'm seeing this from so many people on the right, too. This is not, let me reinforce this, I have seen it. For once, this is not a left versus right divide. This is not a Republican versus Democrat divide. This is a class divide. This, more than anything I've seen, is a divide between the people who still have a paycheck and the people who have lost theirs. So stop using that word, we're all in this together. We are not. We are not experiencing it in the same way. The first dividing line is whether you or someone you love has gotten sick. Many Americans have not yet seen firsthand what devastation a positive test can inflict. Another dividing line is whether you have a job that lets you stay at home, working as you juggle childcare and video chats. 60 million Americans are still out there, not sheltering in place, and instead tirelessly working to keep everything going for the rest of us. You keep the electricity flowing and the internet running, food and groceries moving. You are putting your own health on the line to ensure the rest of us are living as normally as possible. And then there are the tens of millions of Americans. Hold on one second. Hold on. And and I'm going to let him finish this point really quickly. But I want to address this because this has bothered me so much. We have locked down the, the areas of society that politicians have deemed non-essential. Well, wait a minute. Remember, everything is relative. Non-essential to who? It may be non-essential to you. Uh, My job's extremely essential to me. It's extremely essential to my rent payment, to my truck payment, to my children being able to eat their next meal. I am stunned that I'm witnessing society accept politicians say things like, well, we're going to close down things that are non-essential. <laughs> you scumbag. You're the one who's non-essential. You're the politician. You're the least essential person in society. You don't get to point at some guy driving nails for a living, building houses, and say, hey, go home. You're not essential. <laughs> what? Anyway, go on. And then there are the tens of millions of Americans who have lost jobs and businesses, or who fear that they're just about to. Your anxiety about the virus is coupled with worry over having a paycheck, covering the mortgage, keeping the lights on, and buying food. Realistically, COVID-19 will be here for the next 18 months or more. We will not be able to return to normalcy until we find a vaccine or effective medications. And therein... 
as the expression goes, lies the rub. Vaccine this, vaccine that. We're working on a vaccine. We have to develop a vaccine. We've got to get a vaccine. We can't get going again until there's a vaccine. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. We don't have 18 months. And if you believe in any way that we can keep America locked down until there's a vaccine, and a vaccine needs that long, by the way, to be tested before they know it works, you're crazy. Or you live in some kind of a bubble that has so insulated you from reality. 18 months? America does not want to hear this. Remember the lies we tell ourselves? You don't want to hear this, but again, it's not your mommy's show. My show. We will find a way to live alongside this virus as we fight it, or we will fall as a nation. There is not a third option. Jesse Kelly. Joining me now, somebody who has been a leading voice out there and somebody getting a lot of heat for what she's been saying during this whole fiasco is Liz Wheeler. She's the host of Tipping Point on One American News Network, which is awesome, by the way. Liz, I think national suicide because of a virus is crazy. I'm not discounting the virus at all. It's obviously a deadly thing. I think shutting down an entire nation is something that should never even have been considered. How was it considered? How did this happen? Um, first of all, hi, Jesse. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, and you think that national suicide is crazy because you're a man of sense. You're looking at this not through a prism of fear, not through emotion. You're not acting like a sheep in a herd of people that are engaging in mass hysteria. You're just looking at the facts here. I mean, we were told originally between two and four million Americans would die this year alone from COVID-19. The latest revised version of the model the White House has said that they are using uh, now estimates that 60,000 people will die this year, which is within the range of the normal influenza deaths. I know that we're not supposed to mention the influenza when we're talking about this, but it's very relevant to look at the context of uh, what we're dealing with here. The reason, in my opinion, that so many politicians, and I mean Republican politicians, because I expect this kind of nonsense from Democrats. Mm -hmm. The reason so many Republican politicians bought into this is because we don't have the data that we need, and it wasn't identified at the beginning what that data was. And here's what I mean. So when you have one of these projection models, it's based on an algorithm that the modeler writes. And in this algorithm, they have different variables, different numbers. Well, we don't always have the numbers, whether it's the case fatality rate, whether it's the incidence rate, whether it's the transmission rate, whether it's the number of people who are asymptomatic. Many of these variables we have to just make assumptions about. You have to give your best opinion and plug that number or that rate into the model. Those assumptions are nothing more than someone's idea or someone's expectation, just their opinion. 
And yet we didn't identify or politicians didn't identify. I think you and I tried to. Mm-hmm. The politicians didn't identify at the beginning what those variables that we don't know are and then put resources into figuring out the true numbers uh, of those particular variables so that we could know the real numbers instead of just predictions and projections. Liz, now this is going to be a really broad question taking a step back, but how did we get to a point as a world? I mean, I'm not even blaming America. I'm not even blaming Democrats. I'm not even blaming the world response for the most part has been pretty universally, in my opinion, way overly emotional, hysterical, if somebody sees a, an Instagram video and it goes around the world two million times before we find out it's a bunch of crap, one bad yeah. model, and nobody stands up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we crash the economic system of the free world, let's get some better data. How did we get to a point where this has become acceptable leadership when throughout the history of the world, I can't find another example of something like this? Well, I think in... You know, first world nations, you know, maybe the UK and us and some other European nations, Italy, Spain, France, et cetera. Um, we haven't lit our, our generation and those running our country have had it pretty cushy. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are always people who serve in the military. There are always people who go through hardship. Nothing is ever perfect. But in general, we're not of the generation that fought in World War II. We're not in the generation that experienced a previous pandemic. We're not in the generation. In fact, my grandparents are in their late 80s. They're the last of the generation that lived through the Great Depression. We don't really, as a people, have an idea of what it truly means to go through hardship. And then we've been told culturally that every little difference about us makes us a victim. So we have this warped idea of what true hardship is. And I mean, getting a little bit deeper, maybe, and I don't know if you want to go here, but in in addition to the fact that so many people in our nation today are not religious, they have no, um, they have no active faith, they have no relationship with something greater than them. And so that makes them very vulnerable to fear and hysteria and collectivism and everything else that we've seen throughout history when societies um, get soft, I guess. Uh, you know, I actually think that's a great point. I think the faith aspect of this is completely undersold, which I mean, is it not always undersold? And that if you yeah. have no grounding in that, then it makes it so much easier to say things. One death is too much, which is insanity. It's absolutely well, it, it insanity. It makes perfect sense because what what is Christianity about really? It's about you know, sacrificing yourself for something greater. It's about living, living for something greater than all humankind, right? So when you have these calls from government officials to lock down and close your business, and you're, you're told that it's not about you because you're not at risk, it's about protecting someone else, that speaks to us. That speaks to our hearts. That speaks to our internal desire, because that's what God calls us to do, but with Him. And so it's almost, it's almost like we're, we're satisfying a part of, you know, our inherent spiritual desire to sacrifice ourselves for others, it's just misplaced because the government's calling us to do it in a way that there's no statistical evidence is actually being effective. And I, I want to echo at this point, just to try to respond preemptively to the nasty emails that I'll get for this segment. <laughs> and I, I would echo what you said before. Nobody's downplaying COVID-19. It's a scary virus. It's killing. It's clearly killing people in our nation. It's clearly killing a lot of people in our nation. It's particularly dangerous 
for elderly people, people with underlying health conditions, and those with compromised immune systems. And Jesse, that demographic of people, that's a lot of people in our country who are at risk. No one's downplaying this. What we're doing is we're questioning the premises uh, from the projection models on which our political response was based. Because those premises, there's not a single person out there, a single rational thinking person out there who doesn't look at those models and see that they are wildly out of step with reality. Liz, uh, this just got sprung on me, but I figured I might as well ask you because you're so fast on your feet. Bernie's dropping out. Bernie's gone. Yeah, I just saw that. I need you to walk me through that. Why? Because I had this whole theory in my head, and you know how much I hate being wrong, Liz. I had this theory that he was hanging on because Joe Biden is I'm genuinely not even making fun of him anymore. He, he, Joe Biden is clearly deteriorating. Anyone with eyes yeah. can see that. The man needs rest. He needs care. He needs, I mean, he just needs to be around family and genuine care. So I thought Bernie would hang on because he still had a great shot at being the nominee, in my opinion. Why do this if you're Bernie, especially at his age? Because, look, he pulls out now. He's never running again. Right. I, I guess I, I understand your point. I certainly agree that you listen to Joe Biden, and I've tried to give him the benefit of the doubt health-wise. I'm not very conspiratorial about politicians with serious health problems. I understand the rigors of being in front of an audience all the time, and so I try to give him a pretty wide berth. But, I, I mean, I've gone back and looked at some of Joe Biden's old videos, and he clearly, clearly is presenting very differently uh, than than he was 20, 30 years ago. And that's very concerning for someone who wants to be the leader of the free world. I never thought Bernie Sanders was sticking around because he thought that he might be able to snatch the nomination from Joe Biden at the convention or that Joe Biden would admit that he has, you know, that he's not up to the task of being the president. No, I, I always thought Bernie Sanders was sticking around because he, he has been very successful in pulling the Democrat Party much further left than they used to be. The Democrat Party today is virtually unrecognizable from what it was even eight, ten years ago. It's an entirely different party with entirely different principles, an entirely different platform mm -hmm. and political agenda. And Bernie Sanders knows the longer that he stays in or stayed in up until today, he was continuing to force she, Joe Biden to pull even further to the left. Because not if wrong, Joe people. Biden wants Bernie Sanders supporters, He's going to have to pull part of the left. But now that they're Liz not going to Wheeler, have sorry. I am sorry we are up against the break. Liz Wheeler, One American News Network. Her show's tipping point. Do not miss it, Liz. You are the best. Feeling a little stocky? Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. Before we get to the Bernie Sanders talk, I feel like, Chris, I feel like I was unfair earlier. And you understand that saying sorry, <laughs> I just scratched the microphone, saying sorry, I talk with my hands, Chris, whatever. Maybe someone was Italian in my history. Saying sorry is not exactly something I do because I'm a dude. I just pretend like either you're at fault or nothing happened at all, and I bury my problems. I feel like I was unfair to Jack in the Box when I described the loaded tacos earlier. Yesterday, Chris was emphatic that I go get the loaded tacos. 
is like four ninety nine, and you get a, you get a box of these taco, these little mini deep, clearly deep fried tacos, and I mean clearly deep fried. Let's let's just emphasize that point. And I feel like I was unfair to Jack in the Box when I said they were garbage earlier, because Jack in the Box did not give me loaded tacos as I ordered. Jack in the Box gave me just regular tacos. Describing it to Chris, describing it to Mitchell. I actually showed it to Mitchell yesterday, and he said, that's not the loaded ones. That's the regular ones. The loaded ones come with something like three different kinds of sauce on the top of them, and that's what makes it. To which, I mean, look, again, as I've tried to tell you all, we are super famous and important, and so we have these high, high-level conversations that you don't get to hear when we're off the air. And so we were just discussing during the break how important sauce is to food. How so many foods, so many foods, are a vehicle to get the sauce into your mouth. That's what you're always going for. Well, not always, but most of the time, you want a mouthful of sauce. Now, that's it. yes, it doesn't apply to steak. A steak doesn't need sauce. But am I that wrong? Is a is a chicken wing great without the buffalo sauce and the ranch or blue cheese, depending on who you are with it? Of course it's not. You'd never even consider eating it. Yes, the chicken adds something. I'm not acting like the chicken is meaningless. But really, what you want is the combination of buffalo sauce and blue cheese, which brings me... To another point, now that I think of it, Chris, you know what the best side item is for chicken wings in the world? And for some reason, people do not know this, and I am about to change all of your lives, especially because you're stuck at home. This is easy to do at home, and it is fantastic. Now, I need you to do me a favor. Do not turn your nose up. Try it. Try it first. This goes especially for you, Chris, when you have such a childish attitude towards food improvements when I give people wisdom on the show. You know what the best side item is for buffalo wings? Garlic bread. Garlic bread is something you wouldn't even consider for buffalo wings. Everybody knows garlic bread's amazing. If you don't think garlic bread is amazing, Please, as soon as this whole coronavirus thing is over and they allow to do elective surgeries again, go have your tongue removed because you don't deserve it. Garlic bread is amazing. And when you have garlic, there's something about the salty garlicness of the garlic bread that just really plays off the tangy buffalo wing sauce really, really well. And you will know I'm right. When you get done mowing on your buffalo wings and dipping them in the blue cheese on your plate, and so now what do you have left? We all know what you have left. You have this gigantic reddish mixture of blue cheese or ranch on your plate, and you don't know what to do with it. The first time you take a piece of garlic bread and you sop up all that buffalo sauce and all that blue cheese or ranch and take a bite of that garlic bread, You are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not wrong, am I, Chris? 
You use dry rubs? I actually can't kill. Look, I can't kill you for the dry rub because I'm not, I am not close-minded when it comes to buffalo wings. I love buffalo sauce. I love lemon pepper sauce. I can do teriyaki. I'm not a big teriyaki. I can do it. I didn't say I love it. Don't turn your nose up like I just said it's my favorite. But I love a good dry rub. I love garlic garlic parmesan. Chris, stop when I say things like, please grow up when I talk about stuff like that. What is wrong with you? Everybody loves a good dry rub. And for a while. But... When you get to garlic parmesan, you do run the risk. And Wingstop's famous for this. I love Wingstop. They have amazing uh, garlic parmesan. It's so garlicky that for about eight hours, you will be burping up garlic. So I would not recommend that on a date. Although it's hilarious if you've been married a while to get your wife to eat it and watch her just wallow in misery for a long time. It's hilarious. I don't know how we got to talking about this, Chris. Please, let's try to be better focused tomorrow. We're going to have super focus tomorrow. Maybe. Hang on, I have some programming notes for you. And maybe one more little tidbit. Jesse Kelly. Bernie Sanders is out. And I have to tell you, like I told Liz, at his age, I cannot believe he would pull out. He's never going to run again. He's never going to run again. And Joe Biden's brain is scrambled eggs. How do you pull out at that age? You And, and look, I obviously don't want Bernie Sanders as president. But this is his best shot. If Donald Trump goes into the November election with 30 or 40 million unemployed Americans, brother, his chances for re-election are not good. And Joe Biden's chances of even being a functional adult by November are not good. Bernie Sanders may be the third wheel now, but third wheels have been elected before. I, I promised you some good news, and this is the best news you're ever going to have in your life. You can email me now. And if you email me, I will read it. Let me just clarify, because I've made this mistake before. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to respond, because I got so many the last time I said this, I was like, this was, this was a mistake. I, I, I've made a commitment that I cannot fulfill. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to respond But if you email me, I will read it. The email is jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, that's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. If you email me, I'll read it. Try to keep things short. I cannot stress this point enough. If I open up the email and it's a college thesis, that reading I promised you, it's going to turn into browsing real, real quick. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. If you missed any part of the show, podcast is on Google, Spotify, iHeart. It's on Apple now. K 
Catch the whole show. Enjoy the opening. We'll be back to have some more fun tomorrow. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Chew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.